Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Title of our, of our message for this evening is Mission Possible. Mission Possible. And what we're going to be looking at tonight in God's Word is a mission, a directive that we have from the Lord. And we're really going to be diving kind of right into this, but I want to look at uh, just a a little bit of the background of the book of Jude. Uh, We were in Jude, I believe, on Sunday nights about a year and a half ago or so. I think it was end of 2019, very beginning of 2020. And uh, so many of you would already be familiar with the book of Jude, but this was a book that was written uh, in the early 60s AD. Uh, This would have been before the destruction of the temple, uh, before even a lot of the other books of the Bible uh, had been finally compiled or written. And uh, this was written by Jesus's half-brother, Judas, uh, in our Bible so that there's not any confusion between Judas Iscariot and Judas, the brother of Jesus, uh, it's written down as Jude to kind of help differentiate uh, between those. And the book of Jude was written to a church that had really been infiltrated with some false teachers. And these false teachers weren't just spreading, you know, lies maybe about who Jesus was. Uh, They weren't just spreading uh, false information, but they were also really practicing some false Uh, false practices and false theology. And as you read through the book, you can see that they were steeped in immorality, that they were very covetous, that they were trying to get money from people. They were trying to establish themselves as something great. You can read about uh, the disdain that they had for authority. And in all of this, Jude writes to this group of believers And uh, he writes very humbly. We can see this in several uh, of the books of the Bible, but it says in verse number one, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. And you can see there, he says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. And even though he was a person that was so well known that he could say, okay, I'm, I'm Judas, I'm a servant of Jesus, and I'm a brother of James. That would have told the believers here, hey, this is the brother of the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. This was a well-known person, but he doesn't uh, really proclaim his accolades of, hey, I grew up with Jesus. Hey, I have all this knowledge. Instead, he gives as the baseline for this letter of warning others about the dangers of false teaching. He says, hey, I'm just a servant. I'm a slave to Jesus. Whatever Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do. I'm nobody. It's all about Jesus. And this is the book that we're going to be diving into. Uh, Some missions seem impossible. Uh, Maybe some of us didn't do as well in school, and there was a project that was coming up. Uh, I remember uh, the very first time I came out here to Moses Lake, I had a 10-page paper on dispensationalism that I had to write. And I had to write it, and the due date was either the day after or the day that I got here. Uh, and so, you know, I'm 
talking with pastor, trying to get to know the church and the area a little bit. And uh, it comes to, you know, maybe I get back here about 9, 10 o'clock, and I was staying downstairs here at the church, and I was like, okay, I've got Wi-Fi in two hours. Let's see how much of this paper I can write in two hours. It was a mission that seemed impossible. Then there are missions that seem entirely possible. Uh, I, I joked a couple, uh, ooh, maybe about a month or two ago now of, uh, when I, when I asked out Samantha in college, I joked about how could she not fall for the guy, and you guys might remember the picture of me looking like a nerd. I had the nerdy glasses, the bad haircut, the, the whole nine yards. Uh, but there are missions that seem impossible, missions that seem possible, but a mission gives you purpose. It is something that is definite. It's a goal that you're working towards. When you have a mission in life, it affects everything. And here at the end of the book of Jude, he's, he's gone through all of these things of don't be like these false teachers. Don't believe their false teaching. Don't be immoral like them. Don't be covetous like they are. Don't disrespect authority like they do. Don't flaunt yourself as someone great. And at the end of this, he gives kind of a pivot from, okay, here's all the bad things that you're not supposed to do. And here, in these five verses, he gives them, hey, here's some good things. Here's a mission that I have for you as the people of God. And for us tonight, I believe that it will be an encouragement and a challenge to us. So let's pray, and we will dive right into this passage for this evening. Dear God, thank you so much for, uh, Lord, giving us your word that we have a uh, Lord, a mission. We can know what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to go. Uh, Lord, we can know when we have stepped outside of your will and when we're in your will based upon the word of God. And Lord, we ask that uh, we would listen to your word this evening, uh, that we would heed it on our lives and make application, Lord, as you uh, show us what we need. We love you, God, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So for this mission that Jude really sets out for the believers, there's three uh, kind of portions or three tasks in this mission. And the first is to attend. Now, I'm not saying in order for you to complete the mission God has for you, you have to attend church, although that would obviously be a good thing to do and a portion of what God has for us, but... We will see this in verses number 20 and 21. It says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And the specific phrase that we're going to look at here is the phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, at face value, this is kind of a little bit of a shocker to us, or at least it should be, that we would know that salvation, uh, God's love is freely given. It's not something that's earned by us. It was given to us in Christ Jesus. It wasn't something that we did enough good works to level up to God's love. So there's something odd about this. But the word here that is used keep means to attend to, to observe, to obey. So this phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God, 
could also be phrased, have yourselves attend to the love of God. Of God has loved you, and so you need to wait on the table of God's love. Here's how he describes some of this in two specific ways in how uh, the grammar of all this works. He gives them two ways that they can attend to the love that they've been given by God. And the first of these is he says to build up yourselves on your most holy faith. I love this word, build up yourselves. Uh, We might also use the word exhort or encourage yourselves on your most holy faith. Did you know that just because you have thought about your faith or about God's word one time or 10 times or 50 times, that you can think back on it again, that we need to constantly remind ourselves of our most holy faith who our faith is in, Jesus Christ, of what our faith contains, Christ's work for us on the cross, his resurrection, the Holy Spirit living inside of us, the mission of telling other people about the gospel, the hope that we have that not only when we die will we be with God, but we have the promise of the resurrection as well. All of these things are things that Jude here says, hey, I want you to remember I want you to attend to your salvation. Uh, Paul in Philippians 2 phrased it, work out your own salvation, spend time on it, think about it, do these things because of it. He says here, hey, build up yourselves on your most holy faith. And I think something to note here too is it doesn't say building up thyself on thy most holy faith, that it's not strictly an individual thing of Hey, Mike, you're supposed to think about what God has done for you, what God wants to do in you, what God has promised to you and has promised to do in the future. It's not simply that we build up ourselves individually, but together we remind each other of how much God loves us, of how much God wants to use us in a real way. Man, sometimes we can get discouraged. Uh, Carlos, I know you know me. I can, I can get discouraged, but I'm thankful for friends and family members that will encourage me in the Lord, that will build me up, not based on just circumstantial things. If it's just, hey, Leo, you're really strong, and, and that's my encouragement to you. Well, if you ever get weak, uh, if you do what my dad did a couple years ago and pull a tendon, uh, you know, you're not going to be strong, and then that encouragement just falls flat. But when we encourage others on the basis of our faith, of what does not change, of what is always true, man, there is great encouragement in that. So the first way that we can attend to our faith, that we can pay attention to it, that we can obey our faith, is to build up ourselves on our most holy faith. It made me think right away of this verse. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. That's that same word there, that encouragement, that build up one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Back 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews said, hey, encourage each other 
meet together, pray for one another, challenge each other to do love and good works, and do this even more, so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Man, if they could see the day approaching of Christ's coming 2,000 years ago, how much closer is our salvation now than when we first believed? And man, that's an encouragement. Not only building up ourselves on our most holy faith, but praying in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Now, when I was reading through this, I go, okay, praying in the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Uh, many of us would go, okay, I know who the Holy Spirit is. I know what praying is, but what is praying in the Holy Spirit? And I think Ephesians 6.18 gives us great insight into this. It says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. It also makes me think of 1 Thessalonians 5.18, or sorry, I believe it's 5.16, pray without ceasing. It's something that we never walk away from our communication with God. That in whatever circumstance we're in, if we're at work, if we're at home, if we're with friends, if we're at church, our mindset is still the same that we are focused on talking with God. Of God, help me in my conversation with this neighbor. God, help me to be a diligent worker. Help me to be able to have a gospel conversation uh, with someone today. That it's, I'm never leaving my conversation with God. Obviously, we would know at the end of many of our prayers, we would say, in Jesus' name, amen. And that kind of sets apart in our mind, okay, now I'm praying, now I'm not. But let's not allow amen to be, okay, see you later, God, till the next time I have to pray. Let that be something that we say, no, I'm going to continually be in a mindset of prayer of, okay, this was time I set aside and dedicated solely to prayer, but through the rest of my day till the next time I have some time set apart to pray, God, help me to remember you're always here. You're living in me. I think that's a portion of why it says praying in the spirit. The spirit never leaves us. And so as we are praying, as we realize our most holy faith, as we realize that we've been loved by God, let's attend to building ourselves up and others around us up on our most holy faith, and let's pray in the Spirit, realizing God is always with us and he never leaves us. And then he kind of gives here a third thought about keeping ourselves he says, keep yourselves, uh, attend to this, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Never forget that Christ could come at any moment. When we forget that fact, we can get so burdened down with this life because we can fret, okay, what's going to happen in a year? What's going to happen in five years? What's going to happen in my kid's lifetime? What's going to happen in all of these things? But when we focus on Christ's return, when we know that his mercy, that, that word there encompasses kindness, compassion, mercy, pity, the, the whole lot of it, all of that 
the compassion of God himself is going to come and take us home and we will ever be with the Lord. It could happen this evening. That has been the hope of Christians for 2,000 years now, that, hey, we know the Lord is coming back. And so we're going to live our lives not for material wealth. We're not going to live it for what we can amass here on earth. We're not going to live just for earthly relationships or joys or pleasures. Instead, we're going to do everything that we do in knowledge of the fact that, hey, these could be my last moments on earth. What am I going to do with them? And so Jude says here, hey, you have been loved by God. So attend to that love, serve that love, work out your salvation by doing these three things. Build up yourselves and others around you on your most holy faith. Pray in the spirit and look for, await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. But then we can see next in verses 22 and 23, it says this, and if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. In these verses, uh, there's one main word that I want to look at here, and it's the word making a difference. And uh, this is three words in English. It's, it's only one in the original language. Uh, but most times when we read this, when, when I had read it for 20-some years, I always thought it meant making an impact. And if some people have compassion, making an impact, saving others with fear. But the word here means to judge, to differentiate, to separate. It's to discern. And Jude is saying here, as it regarded the false teachers and some of their doctrines and immoralities that were taking place, he says, hey, you need to be discerning in the life that you live. If you're going to build other people up around you, specifically that are in your church, then you need to realize that not one size fits all uh, as far as your relationship and helping to build others up goes. And he goes into some detail here. He says, of some have compassion. This word compassion is the same word uh, that's used, uh, speaking of Jesus in the verse prior, uh, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus. So just as Jesus is coming with mercy, with help, so we are to do that to others, that we are to have compassion. And specifically here, it's talking about those that were doubting, those that had kind of fallen under this, these false teachers. And Jude says, hey, it could, in our flesh, be easy to condemn these. It could be easy to say, how stupid of you to fall into this trap. And he says, hey, no, no, no. Just as Jesus is coming in compassion and mercy for us, have that same compassion and mercy to others. I've heard it said many times that the only difference between us and the worst person we know is simply the grace of God. We do not have any righteousness in and of ourselves that merits God's forgiveness and God's grace and growth in our life. 
So when we're dealing with others, maybe someone that's fallen into sin, maybe someone that's fallen under false teaching, remember to have compassion. Christ had compassion on us, continues to have compassion on us, even in our faults and our failings. So have that same compassion and mercy to others. Then he goes on to say, others save with fear. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean to be afraid of the other person, of, okay, man, Leo fell into this heresy, but, and, and you can try and warn him, hey, this is false teaching, but, but be fearful of him because he's going to beat you up. Uh, that's not what it's talking about here. Uh, a great uh, verse in conjunction with this is Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Uh, that word restore there, you can kind of use in conjunction with a lot of the words that we've been using of saving them, rescuing them, building them up. Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. That's, I'm nothing special. It's not pride. It's meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Too many times we can say, oh, so-and-so fell into this. I'd never fall into that. I'm, we wouldn't maybe think this uh, directly in our minds of I'm too righteous to ever do that. I'm too righteous to ever fall into that trap. When the truth is that all of us are, are sinful. All of us are sinners. If even the apostle Paul said, hey, that which, is, that which I would do, I do not and that which I would not do, that I do. If even Paul would say that, man, how much more us? That we need to realize that when we are helping others, when we're building up others, realize, don't, don't sit in judgment. Consider yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Take stock of your walk with God. Of, hey, have I been dwelling on God's word? Have I been thinking about it? Sometimes we can maybe read a verse in the morning and go, okay, I read my Bible today. That's great. And throughout all the rest of the day, we never once think about God or his word again, despite having started the day with God. Man, let's make sure that we're walking with God throughout the day. One of the great helps to that is if we are praying in the spirit that we're constantly in a state of talking to God and, and assessing our fellowship with God of, okay, is there... Is there anything between my soul and the Savior right now? And, and thinking about that. So others save with fear. And then he continues in this phrase. He says, pulling others out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And this word here, pulling, is a word to seize by force, to rob to snatch away. It would appear from the context of the book that this would be particularly talking about those that were unsaved, that maybe had uh, interacted with some of these false teachers, and if they continue, continued following this false doctrine, uh, would not be saved because the teachers weren't teaching the gospel. And so these people would be on their way to hell. Uh, it could also be that uh, these were headed towards judgment, Obviously, we would know uh, many of the warnings from Hebrews that God does chasten and correct his children. And uh, the writer there mentions that it is a fearful thing 
to fall into the hands of a living God. And uh, Ananias and Sapphira would tell us of the severity of what it is to be judged by God. And I think even uh, maybe a month, month and a half ago, uh, when we talked about Simon the sorcerer, uh, that he was one that Peter strongly rebuked with judgment. And man, uh, in this passage is talking there, pulling others out of the fire. So that could either be the fire of hell, it could be the fire of judgment. He says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, this isn't talking necessarily about, man, Carlos's shirt there, he's a sinner, so even his shirt is sinful uh, or disgusting. Uh, I don't know, I like the shirt. Uh, but uh, it's not saying, hey, it is their literal clothing is so sinful, but it, it's, it's speaking to the fact that when we sin, that sin affects other areas of our life in kind of a ripple effect that continues to go out. I think uh, in Hebrews, uh, I believe it's chapter 13, where it mentions, lest a root of bitterness spring up in you and many thereby be defiled. That there are consequences to our sin that can have physical ramifications, that can have emotional ramifications, that can have relational ramifications. And all of these things, he says, hey, pull others out of the fire, realizing that there have been consequences in this, having, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This word spotted is soiled, spilled, stained, blemished. And the flesh here isn't our physical flesh. Uh, pastor's been going through 1 Corinthians, the word that shows up several times there, fleshly, carnal is that same word there. And it's a person that has been living according to whatever uh, their natural man, whatever their body says, oh, I should do this, I should say this, I should ingest this. All of those things can have effects on other areas of our life. So Jude says here, hey, realize all of these things. Of some have compassion, others save with fear pulling others out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. In all of those things of discernment, he gives um, kind of these parameters for, okay, realize as you are building up other Christians, other believers, as you're trying to help others, uh, there is this understood thought of none of us are supposed to be a recluse in our Christianity that we are supposed to be interacting with other believers in a meaningful and spiritual way such that there could be a building up and a rescue from sin and from false teaching. But he says, as you're doing that, realize some people you're able just to have compassion and mercy on and uh, others that you have to realize, okay, they, they have sinned in a great way and so Take care of yourself, consider yourself, lest you also be tempted, and then realize when you're dealing with people that even uh, that there are ramifications outside of what they've done and the consequences of that. And sometimes that can be encouraging a person of, uh, they might wonder, well, why do I still have this addiction even though I got saved? Or why do I still have this addiction even though I asked God to forgive me of it? And it's okay there are some physical ramifications of this particular sin. 
And so it might be something like that. But he says to attend to your salvation. Realize God loves you. And so you should wait, you should exercise, work out your salvation. Discern that you should be involved in the lives of other believers and of the unsaved, but realize some of the dangers that occur as you help other people and as you build others up as you're commanded and encouraged to. But he ends this chapter and this book with some very, very encouraging thoughts. And I've entitled that point, Worship, in verses 24 and 25. These verses say this, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Here he gives kind of this large benediction of, hey, here's this blessing from God on you. And he starts it off with this phrase, now unto him who is able. I love this word able. Uh, It's the word in Greek uh, dunamis that many of us would know, dynamite, dynamic. And the word means capable, powerful, strong. God is powerful enough. He is strong enough to keep you from falling. Now, this word keep is a different word than the word keep earlier. So the earlier one would mean to attend to, to wait on, to observe, to obey. So you're, you're doing what you're doing in recognition of something else. This word keep would be much more how we would think about it, of to guard and to protect. That God is capable enough to protect you from falling. God is powerful enough to guard you from falling into sin. Uh, I love the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. Uh, When I fear my faith would fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, Christ must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. And it makes me think every time of this thought, that he will keep us from falling. That's not reliant on the righteousness that you have. It is completely reliant on his power, that he keeps us from falling. And then he says here, he's able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless. This word here, present, is to establish, to sustain, to set in place. He says, hey, God is powerful enough to keep you from falling and to sustain and establish you faultless, which is blameless or without blemish. He says, okay, God's powerful enough in the here and now to keep you from falling into sin, Uh, from completely falling away. He says, Christ is able to keep you and he is going to present you faultless before God himself, either at the rapture or when you die. He says, Christ is going to present you faultless. And I love this word. And this was the word that they used in uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that they used in the New Testament. 
this word, every time it was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, whenever it would talk about sacrifices, the sacrificial lamb, that God said it had to be uh, without blemish, without spot, this is the word that was used. And so not only will Christ keep us from falling in the here and now, but when we get to heaven, he will present us blameless, without blemish before God. Man, when I think about that, I I know myself, and I'm not without blame. I'm not without blemish. Many of us could think of our own faults and failures, and what an incredible thing that when Christ presents us, when he causes us to stand before the face of a holy God, whom even the angels hide their faces from, And the angels that are in God's presence have never sinned. But when we stand before God, we stand before him without blemish. Not based on us, but based completely on what Christ has done. So not only does Christ keep us from falling, not only does he present us to the Father, but he presents us blameless, clothed in his own righteousness. So verse 24 says, Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Uh, That word there, exceeding joy, is like a wild and exuberant, it's an overabundant joy. When we stand before God one day, there will not be the dread that we fear now. That we fear, what if God knows about all of my sin? What if God knows how I failed him even after I've been saved? There won't be that dread. There won't be that fear. Instead, he causes us to stand before the Father, faultless, without blemish, with exceeding, overabounding, abundant joy. Jude says this, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Man, when I read these verses, the one word I think of is worship. Of as we realize what Christ is doing, what he has done for us, what he has promised in his word to do in the future for us, the only response we can have is worship of God. I see everything that you've done and I choose to follow and to obey. You see, that's what worship is. Sometimes people can get a wrong idea of worship is a special feeling that you have, maybe when, when the music's playing and when we sing truths to God, maybe, maybe it's an emotional response I have. And that emotional response is worship. And while when we do sing, we should have an emotional response of some sort because the truth of God is being presented, uh, often in, in poetic fashion, worship is so much more than music. Worship is saying, hey, here's the truth of God. It's being presented. What are you going to do with it? And when you respond in obedience, in adoration, in singing, in praise, in giving, in actively yielding your will to God, 
All of those things are worship to the heavenly father. And when we realize everything that he's done for us, we can't have any other response other than worship. If he's the God who deserves glory, majesty, dominion, authority over everything, then we need to praise him. Then we need to obey him. We need to sing about the holiness of our God. We need to sing about how great he is because he's worthy of it all. In the passage, we've seen that we need to attend to this mission. Are we attending to the mission that God's given to us? Are we building both ourselves up in the faith? Are we building each other up in our faith? Are we praying in the spirit? That wherever we go, we're not in an attitude of, okay, this is my time with God and all the rest of this is my time with me. Or are we saying, I'm going to continually rely on God's presence. That just as he's always with me, I'm going to act in a way that reflects that. That I'm going to be in constant communication with my God. And am I looking forward to his appearing? When we look forward to his appearing, it reminds us of why we should worship. Of when we remember, hey, he's coming, I better be acting like it now. I better behave in a way that would be representative of the position I have before God. Discern. Are you being discerning in your mission? Are you realizing, okay, I need to be just as loving and compassionate and merciful in my dealings with others as Christ was to me. I need to be be cautious that I'm not proud and that I don't think I have my own great righteousness that this person just didn't have. Am I realizing, hey, I'm a sinner too and I need to take caution? And then lastly, am I worshiping? Are we actively thanking God for what he has done and is doing in our life and in our mission. I thought about entitling this all Mission Impossible, but really how Jude gives this emphasis here is this is not something that is impossible. This is something that because so little of it has to do with us that we are not earning the love of God. It's been given and we're just reacting to God's love because we are realizing what God has already done for us and in us and what he wants to do in others. And we're simply reacting to that. We're not trying to make others better or make others reject false teaching based on our own intellect or our own greatness. And because we realize, hey, my standing before God, my eternal security, Uh, All of these things are completely on God. The mission's possible because really it's God's mission and he already has done it, continues to do it, and will always continue to do it. And he just says, hey, will you respond in obedience to these things? Realizing this isn't some sort of deep, uh, oppressive, stressful thing. Instead, it's a reliance on the goodness of our Heavenly Father. 
Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.